the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Bucks podcast. Joining you once again after the Bucks have completed a four-game West Coast road trip. We thought this could be a pivotal point in their season. They go two and two, which on paper may not be overwhelming, but uh, the Bucks now at ten and three register two more monstrous wins. They win at Golden State, home of the uh, defending NBA champions, the dynasty Golden State Warriors, and win handily. And then they go to Denver, a team that was absolutely white hot. Is I mean still white hot and they end up beating Denver 121 to 114 another impressive showing uh that honestly like you could look back at the end of the season and say that these are two of the biggest wins of the year and I'm not uh, that's not hyperbole like that actually could be uh what you say at the end of the season hopefully there are a lot more big time wins for the Bucks to reel in but the Nuggets even though that dropped them to nine and four they had started uh, I believe eight and one on the season and were looking really good and playing at home they're certainly an intriguing team in the Western Conference. Now, the Bucks did lose a couple other games. They lost to the Trailblazers and probably the uh, the most underwhelming of the four games. That was a 118-103 loss, the uh, start of this four-game set. They, uh, after beating the Warriors, tried to follow that up in Los Angeles against the Clippers, and they actually rallied in the fourth quarter to force overtime before falling just short against the Clippers 128 to 126. We're going to talk about these games and the state of the Bucks yet again with Matt Velasquez, beat reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and uh, and get a sense of uh, what he thinks we learned about the Bucks on this four-game trip. It uh, certainly didn't delegitimize their standing as one of the best teams in all of the NBA. We're, we're kind of even beyond the Eastern Conference, which is sort of on a different uh, different grading scale than the Western Conference. I mean, we're talking about a team now that can hold its own with anybody, and that's certainly very exciting for Milwaukee Bucks fans. Not sure I introduced myself at the outset, but I'm J.R. Radcliffe, host every week of the Milwaukee Bucks Journal Sentinel podcast. Want to let you know that you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. Let us know what you think. This is some of the early stages. They did this last year. We're uh, trying to ramp it up a little bit this year and, and produce something every week if we can. So uh, this is the early stages of that. So uh, let us know what you like. If you like the changes, what you think of that. You can also find me on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe. That's J-R-R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think of the podcast so far. You can also, uh, for the, for what it's worth, find Matt Velasquez. That's uh, at Matt underscore V-E-L-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z and let him know what you think since he is the star of the show. Let's real quickly go back through uh, through the four games that we had on this road trip. Again, the Bucks started in Portland. It did not go well. 118-103 loss. You did get, of course, your standard output from some of the big players. 23 points from Giannis, 22 from Chris Middleton, 22 from Brooke Lopez. They they shot 16-42 from three-point range. That wasn't so bad. I mean, some of the numbers aren't terrible, but it was really just a showcase performance for C.J. McCollum. He scored 40 points, had a monster second half and was able to uh, to pretty much, there just came a point where the Blazers weren't missing and the Bucks weren't getting the stops defensively that they needed and uh, it just wasn't going to go their way. The Blazers shot better than 52% in the game and uh, obviously Milwaukee is going to have games like that. Tough third quarter, the uh, Blazers outscoring the Bucks 34-26 in the third quarter and of course that proved to be the difference. Nobody in double figure rebounds but Giannis had 9, Middleton 8 for the Bucks in that game. So that at, from that point, they went to Golden State, and if you uh, went to bed, you missed a pretty impressive showing when the Bucks were able to dismantle the Warriors 134-111. to 
little asterisk that Draymond Green, probably, uh, I think safely you could say Golden State's fourth best player, maybe their best defensive player, uh, did not play in this game. Steph Curry ended up leaving the game uh, late uh, late in the third quarter, but by then, honestly, by then, this game was in hand. The Bucks outscored the Warriors 41-28 in the third quarter. Giannis, again, an excellent showing, 24 points, 9 rebounds. And uh, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, which uh, we saw later in the road trip that uh, a line like that's pretty good for Giannis. He has struggled a little bit at the line. But uh, but Eric Bledsoe was uh, was big. 26 points. He was plus 30 on the floor when he was out there. He, threw, he handed off six assists. He shot 10 of 12 from the field. Bledsoe we saw a lot of in this road trip. We're going to talk about him with Matt Velasquez, but... You saw him uh, take some, take the big shot late against Los Angeles that uh, that got the Bucks to overtime. You also saw him uh, kind of in some big spots against Denver, taking a big basket that probably tipped the scales officially in that game. So uh, Eric Bledsoe, absolutely one of the key contributors on this team. I don't know if if he is firmly thought of as the third cog after Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. I I think it's up for debate if he's the the, the strong number three, but he definitely has played the part on offense and uh, has been very engaged this year and having a phenomenal season. So uh, Clay Thompson did score 24 points. He did make both three-pointers that he took, but uh, the Bucks keeping everybody else kind of in check. Durant with 17 points, Steph Curry with 10, again, leaving leaving in the fourth quarter. Giannis did not play in the fourth quarter of this game. He was not needed as the Bucs uh, certainly, if they weren't on the radar before this win, they certainly were at this point. 134-111 thrashing of the best team in the NBA, and, uh, and certainly a lot of national writers were taking notice at that point. However, the Bucks two days later could not quite follow that up. A 128-126 loss middle of the day on Saturday against the Clippers. This game did go to overtime. It was Eric Bledsoe hitting a late three-pointer that hit every part of the rim before going down. The Bucks got a stop right at the last second, and they were able to force the extra session. But uh, the Clippers kind of held on there from there. The Bucks. Uh, the Clippers, they were tied late, and then the Clippers got a big, big shot. Lou Williams with uh, less than a second to go that uh, that tipped the scales and gave the um, you know gave the Clippers the win. The Bucks really didn't get a good look at that point. Lou Williams with the winner, but it kind of felt like the Clippers still held control through most of this game. It wasn't. It didn't feel like a buzzer-beating loss. Felt like the Bucks did not play their best game. Uh, Giannis, however, did have a monster line: twenty-seven points, eighteen rebounds, five steals, four assists. He's his usual unicorn self. Malcolm Brogdon, twenty-three points. He also got twenty more from Brook Lopez. He hit six of twelve three-pointers. Well. You know, put a uh, put a pin in that and talk about that in a second because uh, he had even more three pointers against Denver. Pat Connaughton, ten points off the bench. Pat Connaughton is more and more uh, becoming a, a big part of this team. Uh, Montrez Harrell, twenty six points off the bench. He was huge, nine rebounds. He was a tough load to handle for the Bucks in this game. Uh, Patrick Beverly, twenty one points. Tobias Harris, former Buck, he's maybe the best player on this team. Twenty points, eleven rebounds. And uh, having a nice start to, uh, or I should say, having yeah, having a nice start to the season. He's he's been quite the player. He's not uh, not a name people will think about when they think about the best players in the NBA. But he is uh, he's up there. He's a pretty decent decent guy on a team full of guys that uh, that are solid. And I think this Clippers team is a playoff team. We just uh, maybe don't know quite how good they are yet. They're seven and five. They've only lost one time at home, so uh, that's a, that's an interesting team. That would have been a good win if the Bucks could have stolen it away, especially after not playing all that well uh, coming off of that Warriors game. But then they bounce back on the, you know, one day later, come back to face Denver and win a big one, 121 to 114. I mean, that's an incredible win uh, in Denver against a team that's really strong. Yes, now they fall to 9-4, and four, but uh, but the Bucks improved to 10-3. and three. 
Five players, all five starters in double figures. You had Brooke Lopez just bombs away. Eight of 13 from three-point range. I don't think we thought the Bucks were getting a seven-foot three-point shooter when they signed him in this offseason, but he has been unbelievable from three-point range. He has significantly ratcheted up over the last couple of years the number of three-pointers that he has made per season, and he is on track to just blow any previous season out of the water. Uh, he makes eight three-pointers, finishes with 28 points, 10 of 17 from the field, and uh, three other guys with 20 points. You had Giannis with 22 to go with nine rebounds, eight assists. He's flirting with a triple-double once again. You had Chris Middleton with 21 points. You had Malcolm Brogdon with 26 rebounds, five assists for him. Eric Bledsoe, 12 points, eight rebounds, three assists. Another solid game for Eric Bledsoe. So, uh, again, this was a huge, huge win. And uh, we'll certainly... um, you know, certainly be one that they can point to as the season goes on as a big one on this road trip. This road trip is a big one. It's hard to go two and two on a road trip and move into the next stratosphere of conversation, but that's what's happening with the Bucks. They are uh, 10 and three looking like one of the best teams, if not the best team right now in the NBA. That's enough chatter from me. I've given you the recap. Let's go to Matt Velasquez. We're going to chat about these four games. What's ahead and more right here. Here he is. Here now is Matt Velasquez returned to the great motherland of Milwaukee, Wisconsin after he was out on the four game West Coast road trip with the Milwaukee Bucks. Matt, I just spent a whole bunch of time talking about these games and uh, finally, finally good to hear somebody else's voice. How uh, just right off the top, you had four games, two great wins, two meh performances, but still the Bucks appear to be an even better place than they were when we last talked. What uh, what is the big takeaway you have from these four games? You know, I think uh, I think one of them is just that you know they can hang with really anybody. I mean, they went out there and p- played four um, formidable teams of, from the Western Conference. They beat two of the ones you might consider to be the best ones. Um, you know, they. They were close into the fourth quarter with Portland before um, the Blazers just dropped an 8-0 run on them and really just sent the game spinning out of control. Um, and they went to overtime in a game where they didn't really play well against the Clippers uh, and had every every chance to win. So, you know, night in and night out, um, they're going to have opportunities to uh, to be close and to win. And, you know, this team, when they... We've seen this over the past couple of weeks. They've started to lose games. You know, we started off the, up the whole podcast season talking about how they, you know, they hadn't lost anything and when would they? Uh, and every time they've lost a game, I've heard the constant refrain, you know, from multiple guys in the locker room or at practice the next day or something like that. Just that they, they want to get back on track. They, they have one loss and it affects them so much um, that they, that they really feel the need to bounce back in a big way in the next game. Um, which is not something that I'm used to hearing. Uh, I don't think you hear hear that type of talk in every NBA locker room. Um, but it's like they take it personally. Every time they lose a game, every time they don't play up to the level that they believe they can play, um, which is something that, I mean, if you're a fan of this team, I think that you would love to hear that. We're going to talk, of course, about Denver and Golden State here in a minute, but I wanted to start with Brooke Lopez, which to me is actually one of the more eye-popping developments, is to see him become this prolific three-point threat. And obviously, we, when he wasn't a buck the last two years, fans probably weren't paying much attention to this, but his three-point makes went way, way up all of a sudden the last couple of years, and now he's on track to to shatter those numbers even. I think he's got... 
something like 83 pointers made or something already. What do you think Mike Budenholzer or the, or the Bucks front office had this in mind when they brought him in or is this is this a bonus? Like how is it that you've got a 7-foot guy going from primarily an interior player to becoming a not just a three-point shooter but like a, a three-point threat? I mean, he had eight three-pointers in a game against Denver. I don't know if anybody saw this coming, but I have a feeling the Bucks may have. Yo, yeah, the Bucks definitely saw this coming. This is exactly what they wanted him to do. Um, I don't know if they were uh, anticipating that people would be would be calling him Splash Mountain uh, by yes, the Splash uh, Mountain. I love it. Just a month into the season, but here we are. Um, you know, he was getting face guarded in Denver. Like, like Mason Plumlee was like picking him up at half court and like guarding him. Like it was insane. Like you just don't see that for a seven footer. He'd never seen that. His teammates were just laughing and and they loved it. You know, just the way that he was affecting the game. You know, Eric Bledsoe was saying, "Hey, watch out, Stephen Clay." Like, you know, here comes Brooke Lopez. And, uh, you know, but uh, yes, the Bucks definitely saw this coming. This is exactly what they wanted him to do. Uh, and they can really thank a former Mike Budenholzer assistant, Kenny Atkinson, uh, for part of this transformation. I mean, uh, Brooke Lopez has spent all of his career with the Nets. He never really ventured outside of the three-point arc. Uh, and then suddenly the 2016-2017 season, Kenny Atkinson takes over in Brooklyn and Brooke Lopez is shooting threes. And that's something that, you know, Brooke, you know Kenny Atkinson was an assistant under Budenholzer in, uh, in Atlanta. So he has a similar philosophy, similar way of going about things. He, he kind of sees the game uh, in a similar fashion, knowing that, you know, you need to have everyone be able to be at least a credible threat from three-point range. And obviously, Brooke Lopez is the one who put the work in himself and improved his shot and built his confidence over time. Um, and so starting with that season in 2016-17, he started taking five threes a game. And he was you know, shooting like almost 35%. Uh, and then he moved over to the Lakers last year, and he kept doing that, you know, putting up four and a half a game uh, while playing fewer minutes. So I think if I looked at his per 36 numbers, it's probably about the same. Um, and he, again, shot about 35%. Uh, and then you look at what he's doing now. Yeah, so his per, per 35 numbers for 2016-2017 and then last season – we're over six threes a game per 36 minutes. Uh, and shooting 35% is you know, a very credible number. Uh, and this season, he's already blowing that out of the water. Uh, like you mentioned, I mean, he's averaging 9.6 per 36 minutes on three-point attempts, and he's making you know, four a game at that, at, that, uh, at that clip, which as of right now, uh, if you want the raw number, he's, making, he's made 39 threes this season, which comes out to three per game, and he's shooting almost... 42 percent a lot of those are deep threes he's he took a couple at or near or behind the hash uh in the in the denver game i know that's something he practices uh during uh during practices and shoot arounds and things with the team um he knows that the further he can step out the further he can space the less likely someone is to guard him at that distance and he's just been you know catching and shooting and and outside of being deep on threes I think he's one of the top, if not the top, players in the NBA in terms of converting uh, corner three-point attempts. So whenever somebody like Giannis or Eric Bledsoe or uh, Malcolm Brogdon, when those guys drive you know, and he leaks out to the corner, they know he's going to be there and they know he's going to knock it down because more, you know, more often than not, he does. Yeah, I think I said he has 80 makes earlier. I meant 80 attempts. So it would be quite a quite a story if he was up to 80 makes in the first uh, the first month of yeah. the season. But now hitting, he's got, hitting, like you said, 42% of them. Yeah, now he's got 93 attempts. I mean, he's he's on pace for, you know, the kind of numbers that a a guard normally would put up, a very 
high, um, a, a great three-point shooting guard at that. So he he's really uh, just taken advantage of the system, of the scheme, of just the space that he's been given. Um, and it, it almost seems like every time he misses a shot, he looks like confused and upset with himself. <laughs> like, you know, I, I kind of comment during games sometimes that he he'll get subbed out if he's missed a three or something recently. He's always shaking his head because he always thinks they're going in. Uh, and against Denver, they basically were. Yeah, so I feel like we should talk about the Denver and Golden State game separately, and I don't know if we'll really really have time to do that. Just the thought for me, though, is that, that Golden State win is the one that's gonna that's basically put the Bucks firmly on the national map. They were probably there before, but after that win, that dismantling of the defending champs in their building, I think that really got everybody else's attention who wasn't already paying attention. But this Denver win might be just as impressive, possibly even more so, because that's a team that's also playing extremely well. They were at full strength, and the Bucks were tight with them most of the game and then pulled away at the end. They had the extra gear that Denver did didn't seem to have how did you come away from that Denver game did you feel like it was on par with what they accomplished in Oakland yeah and I I I think it was I think you would definitely make that argument uh just because you're you're coming off the back-to-back you played overtime the day before in LA you lose an hour going to Denver you're going to altitude um you know everybody talks about Denver being a really tough road trip partly because the airport is so far away from downtown Uh, seriously it's like in another country it's insane it's pretty darn far i I've done the drive, uh, so it's uh, it, it's pretty you know substantial. And you know, I know ESPN has their big um, collection of games that they believe are schedule losses, and I believe that was one for the Bucks, um, or that you would expect that they would lose that game. Uh, and just the resilience they showed, uh, just to kind of battle back and forth throughout the game, they were incredibly efficient uh, all night long, uh, really hitting a lot of shots, getting getting good looks. Uh, playing together uh, defensively in the first half, they got absolutely killed by Jokic and Millsap. They part of their defensive scheme that they were just kind of giving them extra space on threes. And Millsap had made like seven of twenty-two threes all season, and they started the season like five of si- or started the game five of six or something like that. Um, you know, like life comes at you fast. Uh, <laughs> that's really sometimes that happens. Um, you know, but then just to to have that huge outburst by Brooke Lopez in the third quarter, you're going up into the fourth by 11. You're at the end of a four-game road trip. Um, you know, you've got everything kind of going for you. You're you've expended all that energy to build that lead, and then out of nowhere, the Nuggets just just roll to start the fourth quarter. I mean, it was like a 21 to six run. A lot of energy guys off their bench were um, were really just giving giving the Nuggets a huge boost. And the Bucks could have packed it in. Like they could have just said, "Okay, like we we gave it our best shot. Run a back to back. We played overtime yesterday. We're in Denver. Uh, like woe is us type thing." Uh, but then Eric Bledsoe made a couple uh, key defensive plays that turned into buckets. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon hit a hit a clutch three. Chris Middleton made a a really tough jumper over Jokic, and suddenly the Bucks were were coming out of there with a huge win. Their first in Denver since 2010, and you know that's. That's a place where, you know, not every team can, can come away with victories. And uh, and they were really impressive in, in finishing that road trip strong and digging deep and, and finding a way to make that happen. Having Bledsoe be the guy late in these games, and he, of course, takes the three-pointer that forces overtime against the Clippers. He had the big basket against Denver. 
I mean, it's not like Giannis and Chris Middleton have struggled in clutch situations. Those are two pretty good options in those spots, and yet Bledsoe has shown the Bucks something that you know has enabled them to put some trust in him. Which, and we've talked about Bledsoe already a couple times on this podcast, but I feel like we're seeing. I mean. I don't know if he's truly the third guy if we're going to try to get a big three. That seems to be a popular thing to try and have a big three. But the way that he has shown late in games, he is kind of their third their third option, the guy that they can trust to make these big plays. Does it surprise you that they seem to have this much faith in the guy? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just think that when you when you get into a late game situation, you want someone who can create separation, beat guys off the dribble, and create open shots, whether it's for themselves or someone else. And, you know, that might be Giannis uh, in certain, at certain times. Um, but, you know, sometimes he has trouble creating that, that separation um, and getting past guys without, you know, creating an offensive foul in the process. And, you know, at that point, maybe he's played more minutes. Maybe he's a little bit more tired. Uh, and the set that the Bucks have liked to go to a lot, especially in the Denver game and the, the Clipper game, uh, is the Bledsoe Giannis pick and roll where where Giannis is setting the screen, you know, and then Bledsoe's going to go around it and use his speed uh, to his advantage, and then they just read the the defense from there. If if the uh, the defense kind of tries to stop Bledsoe's drive, that either means someone's helping off from the side, leaving someone wide open on the outside, or that the you know the person who is um, you know, Giannis setting the screen and his defender is probably trailing. And so the guy getting screened has to kind of come up or over or the, the big has to come up. And that's going to open all kinds of other options where if Giannis can, you know, roll straight to the rim, that there's an alley-oop possibility. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things you can do with that, considering that teams have to respect Giannis and they have to respect Bledsoe's speed. And if they, you know, pass on one of those two things, you know, you're going to have someone open and they're trusting Bledsoe to be the guy to make that pass, to make a dynamic play at the rim, um, just to decide what's going to work. And that that um, that paid off some uh, against the Clippers, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, but then in overtime, ran into a few more problems. Bledsoe couldn't get some layups to fall, um, had a shot blocked at a, at a key moment, had a turnover. Um you know, so that's what you're going to get. If you're going to decide to put the ball in his hands and let him create and let him take advantage of mismatches and use his speed, you know, sometimes there's going to be um, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be turnovers, there's going to be shots that don't go in. And, and he even admitted it after the the Clipper game. He said, "I, I got to you know make better decisions, make quicker decisions." You know, he hesitated too much and it cost him. Uh, but then you see in the, in the Denver game, you know, he made the defensive plays to turn into offense. Uh, and he got out in transition to get Giannis the ball for for a bucket uh, at crunch time, and, and those things all mattered, uh, at, especially in taking the Bucks, who were, like I said, they they were at the wrong end of a 21 to six run to start the fourth quarter, and then Eric Bledsoe was the one who who brought them back and helped them um, set up for a strong finish. I think if we go into this road trip, the, the most logical outcome in our minds or the most hopeful would be that they'd go two and two and would be Portland and the Clippers as the easier of the two match, uh, easier of the four matchups in, you know, in quotes there, because those are toughies as well. But uh, then, of course, it, it flipped on its head. They win those two uplifting games. 
And, you know, at the same time, of course, the fan in you says, well, Portland and the Clippers kind of feel like missed opportunities, particularly the Clippers game, since it did go to overtime and the Bucks did not play well. I mean, it's hard to be upset with the road trip, no matter how you slice it. But, you know, you wrote about the defense a little bit, still having a little bit of work to do after the Portland game, that they that there is still a way to exploit what the Bucks do on defense. When you, As you come off this road trip, with these six games in a row now at home, do you feel like there is still something, one or two things the Bucks really do need to work on? Or do you think that we can talk about this team as one of the, maybe the best team in the NBA, maybe the single best team regardless of conference? You know, they're, they're definitely up there. And, you know, anything we say about the defense is you got to take it with a grain of salt because they're the number two defense in the league in terms of efficiency. They're also the number two offense and the league in terms of efficiency. That's <laughs> uh, incredible. So they've got the best net rating in the league. They're obviously playing very well. Um, so like, you know, I, I want to preface it with that. But like, like I wrote in Portland, you know, there are ways to exploit what they're doing. We saw it in a different way in uh, in Portland or in uh, in Denver, which in Portland it was CJ McCollum going off, killing them from the mid range, and it was not just him, but the whole rest of the, the Portland team, if I recall correctly. They were 19 of 24 on mid-range shots, like non-paint mid-range shots. And, you know, the the math is going to tell you that you should get if you're going to give up any shots, you should give up those shots because those are the the lowest value shots because obviously in the paint, you have a higher likelihood of making them. From the three-point line, you get more points. Um so if you're going to give up a long two, um that that seems like a good idea. And it just so happened that in Portland, you know, they were making all those shots. CJ McCollum made like 8 of 10. Uh, and and the, their team as a whole, right, nine, 19 of 24. Um, and so that's somewhere where if a team gets hot from the mid-range, you know, there's not a lot you can do other than just kind of stick to your fundamentals, um, continue to contest as best you can, and hope for the best. Uh, and obviously we saw against the the Nuggets that one way that the Bucks really got hurt was those, um, those big, big guy picking pops with Jokic and Millsap hitting a lot of Top of the key threes left wide open as they, they ran a pick and roll and the big sank to, to guard against the drive and the layup, leaving, you know, Denver's big up, like open on the outside. And we saw that against the Celtics uh, and Al Horford hit a bunch of shots, but also, you know, was able to swing the ball and create offense off the pass uh, from that situation. And Jokic and Millsap basically just, you know, rained threes uh, in the second half. They adjusted a little bit. There was a little bit more um, trapping of the ball handler and, and kind of showing and making things a little bit more difficult on, along the perimeter. Those three-pointer, those three-point opportunities for Jokic and Millsap, um, they weren't as plentiful. Um, the shots also didn't go down as often. They they were obviously hitting them at a high rate early. Um, so that, you know, there's certain things in this Bucks defense that teams can take advantage of, but it seems pretty. Um, clear that Mike Budenholzer is comfortable with that. He has a plan. He has, you know, a scheme that he wants these guys to run. Um, they're not necessarily going to um, change what they do for every team that they play, even if, you know, a, a certain matchup you would think might necessitate it. They're saying, hey, we're, this is our this is our defense. This is what we do. You know, we want guys to be sure of what they're doing, be fundamentally sound, give the high effort uh, in everything they do. And just trust in each other that what they're doing is the right thing and be ready to, you know, contest and pull down rebounds. And so, you know, you're, you're going to give up some points. 
uh, especially, and I think hard to some of it too, is they're playing at a pretty high pace. Uh, I think they're like fifth in the league in pace. Um, so when you're playing at a high pace, there's got to be more points scored, but they, they're kind of okay with that. Cause like, you know what, we're going to score more points than the other team just because of how our offense is. Um, so, um, definitely some things to, to continue to keep an eye on defensively, but I think the bucks overall are happy with who they are on that side of the court. Um, and believe that when push comes to shove, they can outscore teams. So the Bucks begin this uh, six-game homestand with Memphis on Wednesday night. I don't want to look past that game. That's sort of an interesting one. A lot of guys that I don't think Bucks fans will really be familiar with. Maybe Mike Conley will be a familiar name to to a lot. But uh, that's a team that's doing okay. Kind of a kind of a, a little bit of an unknown. A, uh, a little bit like that Kings team that came in. But the game I want to talk about is Friday night. The Bulls come to town. Of course, Jabari Parker, former Milwaukee Buck, is on that Bulls team. It has not really gone well for the Bulls this year. They are 4-10 and 10 at the moment, well down the Eastern Conference standings. And I'm curious what you think the uh, the reception will be for Jabari. Now, I, I mean, I think I know what it's going to be, but, you know, it's easy to forget that he did a lot for the city of Milwaukee and, you know, had a couple major knee injuries that limited what he ultimately could do. But I know that... I have a feeling fans are going to uh, to not be particularly kind to Jabari Parker when he comes back. What do you think? Uh, I think that they'll appreciate him uh, during like uh, introductions, like the first time he checks into the game or whenever he's introduced. I think he'll get an applause there. Um, but then once the game starts, you know they'll turn on him. Uh, you know cause that's that's what that's what you do. Like you appreciate a guy who gave you a couple some good years, did some good things in the community, um, you know all those things and. You know, it's not that he. I mean, we can say whatever we want about the summer. You know, whether he wanted to leave or the Bucks didn't want or whatever it was. Like, the Bulls offered him money, and the Bucks didn't. Like, that's what happens. Like, you know, when you have restricted free agency, you have a player who's put in a position where, you know, unless the team that he was already with immediately like jumps at him uh, and really wants to keep him, uh, they say, hey, go out there, get an offer. If you get an offer sheet we'll decide what we want to do. And he got an offer sheet. It was for more money than the Bucks wanted to spend. And they said, you know, go for it, Jabari. Like, hope this, hope this turns out great for you. Um, yes. And so, you know, it's not like he was like, oh, I need to leave Milwaukee. Milwaukee's terrible. Like, you know, he wasn't blasting Milwaukee. I think he made it clear that he, he enjoyed his time in Milwaukee, especially when it comes to interacting with fans, interacting with the community. Um, you know, he was very well known for getting out and, and doing uh, charitable works and and interacting with people. Um, and so I think that the fans will appreciate that. Um, I think part of the reception, too, will be just the fact that he didn't go to Chicago and immediately light the world on fire and the and the Bucks haven't they, they haven't crumbled. The Bucks are doing great. Like Jabari's getting getting minutes. He's getting opportunities like everyone's getting kind of what they wanted. And so, you know, fans aren't going to look at him as this, like, huge rival who, you know, oh, this guy's going to make us pay for letting him go. It's more of like, okay, like, we get it. Like, let's see what happens. But, you know, we have a really great team in Milwaukee, and and we're happy with that. So I think that he'll get a positive reception. Um, I don't know how the game's going to go. I mean, I, well, I kind of have an idea. You would expect the the, the Bucs would win that uh, pretty handily. The question is, by how much? Um you know, especially with guys like Dunn, Markin, and Portis, Valentine, all out. Yeah, um, it's yeah, been the, a tough, tough go. Yeah, this Bulls team has been really hit hard by injuries, and 
you know, outside of those guys, you, you just don't have enough firepower to keep up. So, um, you know, that, that should be a, you know, a fun atmosphere. Usually a, a Bucks Bulls game is a fun atmosphere, uh, especially, yeah. especially for a Friday night. But I think, you know, Jabari Parker will be uh, treated well. What do you, uh, let's say money isn't an object, because I think we all understand that the amount of money he was going to make was never going to be worth it for the Bucks to try to keep him. And they made that very clear when in the free agency period, they brought in Ersan Ilyasova immediately and didn't even seem interested in really trying to trade Jabari Parker, sign and trade, do any sort of deal uh, that would have um, netted them something. If, if money weren't an object, is there any way Jabari Parker fits what Mike Budenholzer is doing? Because the more we've seen this develop, the more it kind of seems like this guy just wasn't meant for the, the new world order of the Milwaukee Bucks. Am I wrong about that? I mean, I think, you know, you can dream up a situation where he would fit, um, you know, especially offensively. Like, yes, he shoots threes. He is a versatile player who can drive, um, who can kick. All, all these different things that he can do offensively just – he doesn't play defense. Like that, that's really the problem. Um, you know, we've seen him in Milwaukee over the years and his, his defensive issues and his lack of attention and focus. And he even said at, at his press conference when he was, you know, joined the bulls that he's not paid to play defense. The league's all about scoring. And no matter what you do, you know, you could try so hard and guys will still get buckets on you. It's like, that's, that's not a good look. Like that's not the right thing to say. Um, you know, of course, when the, when the warriors, uh, just, absolutely demolished the Bulls by some ungodly number of points. I think they had like 92 in the first half. Like suddenly Jabari's words started getting plastered all over Twitter. Like, Hey, like the Bulls aren't getting paid to play defense. Um, so, and, and I was one of those people saying that. Um, but you know, when, when you look at Mike Budenholzer's team, like that's what it is. Like that's how you play. Like, and he's very consistent about that. And there's a reason why there's a number two defense in the league, you know, because you know, he's, he's, getting that that max effort and and that buy-in on that end from his players. And so that would be the really the, the, the biggest issue uh, with Jabari Parker is that he's never shown a, pro- a proclivity for playing defense or, uh, or an interest in playing defense. Um, but on offense, like, yes, he can score. He can shoot threes. He can do a lot of things. He could fit into a five-out system. He can make a lot of things happen. Maybe you'd have questions about, like, how much he could operate without the ball in his hands. Because um, he, he definitely is someone who, who wants the ball in his hands and wants to be the one making decisions and making plays. Uh, so taking a back seat to Giannis or Bledsoe or even Brogdon and Milton to an extent, like, that might be hard for him. Um, you know, but the Bucks were in a tough, tough position. There was really no opportunity to trade him over this, uh, you know, after he came back from his ACL tear. He came back only slightly before um, the trade deadline. You're not going to get any value trading somebody who has been out for two years, you know, on and off and hasn't proven that he can be back doing, you know, high level NBA things on that knee uh, for long enough for teams to trust it. And then after that, like in the summer, I don't know why a team would want to do a sign trade when they can just sign them and not have to give anything up. So it's just a situation where, you know, the Bucks didn't have an opportunity to really get value for Parker and then they just had to let him go. All right, last question, Matt. Got to get your thoughts on the city jerseys that we're going to see on Monday night when the Bucks host the Denver Nuggets. Uh, yay or nay, they look like the Mecca floor. They're kind of cool, but also pretty loud. What do you think of those? You know, I, I was kind of unsure about how I felt about them to start. I saw them in person. They, they brought them to Portland. And I, uh, I, I guess I liked them more in person. 
Um, they, they look pretty good. I'm not sure how they'll play on TV, but they're fine. I still like the, the cream ones from last year. And, you know, there's something to be said for taking chances and, and using that ability to, to put out a new jersey each year as, as your city jersey to not just, you know, kind of roll back out the, the old one and, and try something new and put it out there and, and see how people react to it. Um, I think the short the shorts look great. Um, if, if nothing else, the shorts look great. Uh, and, and and I think it's kind of smart of the Bucks because they put out a bunch of city gear, and so you get and, and they're going with that that yellow as the main uh, the main color. So they have a, like a yellow hat with a Bucks logo on it, like a, you know the green Bucks logo, and then you have like a yellow hoodie with like a green Bucks logo. And someone pointed out like the you know hey green and gold that's Packers colors, and so that's that's just smart on its own. I didn't even think about that. Like, just, <laughs> yes. Just having that color scheme, where then someone could be like, you know what, I, I'm going to a Packers game. Like maybe I'll wear like my yellow Bucks hoodie, or like my yellow Bucks hat, um, because like then you can still like support both teams. And I get it. You know, Aaron Rodgers is a part owner of the Bucks, so you know you're you're trying to create synergies there. Um, so I think those types of things, like you know, it's worth a shot. Uh, the the gear looks pretty cool. Um, I can understand why people would want to buy it. There was a guy in Denver who was wearing like Buck City gear. Whoa! Yeah, that's ahead of the curve. That's incredible. I mean, that person had to have like gone to the Bucks Pro Shop in Milwaukee and then flown to Denver. Like, they, they, <laughs> they must be from Milwaukee. Like, I can't imagine somebody who was already in Denver like ordered the stuff and got it. Like, unless they're like highly dedicated and like got like like express shipping and just like really needed that like yellow hoodie. Uh, or whatever, you know, that yellow gear for, like, that game. But Yeah, you know, I think it, it went on sale Thursday, so that's Thursday to Sunday. That is a heck of a turnaround. No, it's really it's really tight. So so shout out to that that guy. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's living his best life. Um, and, yeah, so I think the city the city gear, I'm interested to see how it looks on the court. Um, you know, but worse comes to worse. Even if people generally don't like it, next year they can put out a new city jersey. And, uh, and they, they gave it a shot. I don't think they own... And I'm not sure about this, but I don't think they own the rights to like the Mecca court, so they couldn't use all the different aspects of it. Like cause people like went on Photoshop and like I, there's stuff circling circulating on Twitter about like a better looking version of that, but like they couldn't like use the exact layout of the court or certain elements of it because they don't own the rights to the court design. Hmm, uh, interesting. I, I think now I I'd have to check on that but i'm pretty sure they don't i mean they might have done it differently this the way that they did it it's like still kind of um you know not totally nailed down like it's inspired by that but yeah it's, it's more of an homage than a straight reproduction exactly but if they were trying to reproduce it they could have done a lot of different things and i think they could have designed it better that way but i don't think that they have the ability to do that um which is why they they didn't um that, that's kind of my my expectation and things that i've kind of like generally heard like an undercurrent of um but yeah for what they for what they had to work with and, and, and in making an homage that, that allowed them to use certain colors and designs without like infringing on the original design like you know this this is pretty good 
Check out uh, jsonline.com if you don't know what we're talking about to see the designs that uh, the Bucks will be wearing on Monday night and 11 other times throughout the course of the season. It's also JS Online, the place where you can find all of the material produced by one Matt Velasquez about your Milwaukee Bucks. Once again, they play Wednesday night against the Memphis Grizzlies, Friday night against the Chicago Bulls, Monday against the Denver Nuggets, and then hopefully we'll have another podcast for you. Thanks for joining us, Matt. We will chat with you again very soon. Oh, man, can't wait. That'll do it for the Milwaukee Bucks Journal Sentinel podcast. Thanks to Matt Velasquez for joining us. As we mentioned, the Bucks rewarded for this four-game road trip with six consecutive home games now, starting with Memphis on Wednesday night and then a fascinating battle with the Chicago Bulls on Friday. We'll probably try to have a podcast for you next Tuesday after the Bucks uh, host the Denver Nuggets, that tough Denver Nuggets team coming into Pfizer Forum. You should absolutely check that out if you can. That's a really good team. The Portland Trailblazers will be there two days later. Then Phoenix on Friday, the 23rd of November. That's the day after Thanksgiving. And the San Antonio Spurs rounding out the homestand on November 24th before the Bucks hit the road back to Charlotte uh, November 26th. Then they're right back at home against the Bulls. So a ton of action at Pfizer Forum here over the rest of November. Seven games out of their next eight all at home in that brand new arena. You should absolutely get out and watch these Bucks, man. If you haven't seen them already, they are fun. They play fast. They shoot threes. They've got much improved defense. Everything is going uh, the Bucks way right now. So uh, get out, get a, get a ticket, go watch this team play. If you haven't seen the inside of that forum, you are uh, you are definitely missing out. I'm sure you know that, and you'll uh, you'll get a chance. Thanks again to Matt Velasquez. Find us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher and Spotify. Check us out there. Again, find me. I'm J.R. Radcliffe on Twitter at J.R. Radcliffe, J-R-R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. We will talk to you again next week. Take care.